title of the message tonight is <clears throat> Everybody Take Out a Sheet of Paper. Now, I'm going to ask you, is that not the scariest seven words you ever heard when you were a student? Yes. yes. Because when you heard those words, it meant test was coming, didn't it? I had a professor, an engineering professor. He didn't refer to them as pop tests. He referred to them as Smokey Joes. And he said, if you don't know the material, I'm going to smoke you with this one. And I'm going to tell you what, he could give some Smokey Joes that would, that would make you tremble. But when you heard those words, you knew that all the lectures were over. It was done. The teacher had said all they were going to say on the subject. You knew that uh, all the assignments, all those homework assignments, working all those word problems and all that, it was, it was all done, didn't it? All the lab exercises, the experiments that were supposed to prove what the teacher told you would happen if you mixed this and this and did this, all that was over. All the note-taking was all in the past. It was time now to prove what you knew. Did you get it or not, right? Tonight I want us to look at a, cha a, a, a chapter, I guess, in the life of uh, what Scripture refers to as the Twelve, Jesus' uh, Twelve Apostles. Um, we're going to look at some of the education they got. We're going to look at how they got some on-the-job training. And then came the time for the test when the Lord essentially said, now take out a sheet of paper. Go get tested on what you know. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 6. And we're going to read. And we're going to... First thing we'll do, we'll just look, go down through the, the verses. Uh, some in Mark, some in Matthew. There's uh, This account is given in, in both. It's also given... Uh, in John's Gospel as well, some of it, so I'll refer to some of that. We'll look at what happened, and then we'll look at some lessons I think we can learn from it. So we're going to start uh, reading in Mark chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. It says, And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and he gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse. But be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, It shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils, and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Let's pray one more time, Father. Thank you for allowing us to be here tonight again. We thank you for each person who's here. Thank you for allowing us all to be here tonight, Lord, to come together, to fellowship with each other, to pray together, to sing your praises together, uh, just to, uh, to worship you together as a body of believers. We thank you for that. And we pray that as we look into the Scriptures tonight that you would open our eyes to see what we need to see. We pray the Holy Spirit would be near. We pray first, Lord, that you would give us a hungering and a thirsting after the things of God, that we would want to see from your word what will help us here. We pray that as we look into these verses, Father, you might teach us what we need to see, that you would make us more effective servants, because that's our desire. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to title this, uh, this part, portion, these, these verses, uh, this is time for them to roll up their sleeves. Because these, the twelve, as they're referred here, the apostles, they've been with Jesus for a lot of uh, months now, possibly as much as a couple of years at this point in the ministry. So they've seen him. They've seen how he worked with people. They've seen uh, the way he teaches people. They had seen by this point 
uh, the compassion that he showed to people. He didn't he didn't just breeze into a city and say, "Bring me your sick, and I'll take care of it, and then I'll be on my way." He really cared about people, and he listened to what they had to say, and he showed compassion to people that some folks wouldn't have, give the time of day to, much less show them any compassion. He allowed lepers to come and touch him, and he would touch them and grant healing to them, and he would raise the dead. And so they had seen so many things, uh, and they had seen, uh, listened to the teaching, they had heard his doctrine, they had seen his methods of ministry by this point in time, they, they recognized his authority, they knew that, it had already been said by this time, no doubt, that uh, this man speaks like nobody ever has spoken before, he speaks as one having authority. And so they knew that, they knew his identity, I believe, by this time as the Son of God because of the things that they had seen. And so they're very close to him, and now Jesus turns to them and says, okay, you've learned all of this, now it's time to put your knowledge into practice. Don't you roll your sleeves up? And he sent them out in pairs. He split them up. He said two by two. I like that. He could have sent them as 12 individuals, as sheep out among wolves, but he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to send you in pairs. You're going to have somebody. You're going to have a buddy to be with you, somebody to give you support, somebody you can pray with, someone who can... Uh, you can encourage each other when things get bad, if things get bad. But I want you to go out and I want you to take what you've learned and I want you to, uh, to put it into practice. So it's on the job training time at this point. He says he gave them power in verse uh, 7. He gave the power over unclean spirits. That word power, it's, it's literally referring to delegated authority. They're going out like ambassadors. When an ambassador leaves the United States, an ambassador of the U.S. leaves this country and goes into a foreign country, he's going, or she, are going with the full authority of the United States government behind them. So these, these men were going out in pairs with the full authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I want you to go out, and I want you to do what I've taught you to do. Verses 8 through 11 give us the basically the logistical details. As He, he says, now as you go, I want you to take this, don't take that. Wear this. Don't wear that. You're not going to need extra money. Don't wear two coats. You're not going to need these things. Put on, just take a pair of sandals. You're not going to need an extra pair of shoes. You're going to be taken care of. He says, stay at the first place God provides. When you go into a new village or a town, there's going to be someone. God's going to provide somebody that will give you a place to stay. And when he does that, I want you to graciously accept it. Don't start looking around to see, well, you know, I'm like, let me get back to you on that. I appreciate you offering me your room, but I'm, there might be a better place. A place closer to whatever. My favorite restaurant or whatever. He said, don't do that. Be graciously accept when the Lord gives you a place. And he said, and if you're accepted when you start to teach and preach, that's great. Go ahead and preach. Preach with all you've got. But if they don't accept you, then simply leave. Shake the dust off your feet when you leave. And it'll be better for the people in that town, that village, that city. It'll, it would be better for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for them because they've rejected your message. That's serious words, isn't it? Yes. He said, so I want you to go. You're not responsible for whether they listen or not. You're only responsible for going and taking what I've taught you, <coughs> taking the message to you. I mentioned this briefly this morning. Christian witnesses are not responsible for whether anyone believes or not. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful when the, when the Lord says, take out a sheet of paper, that I'm not responsible for whether anybody believes what I say or not. I am responsible for how I present the gospel. And it needs to be presented in an understandable way. It needs to be presented to people with compassion, doesn't it? 
it doesn't, it's never going to work. You, you never, I've said this before, you're never going to browbeat anybody into the kingdom of God. You're never going to entertain anybody into the kingdom of God. You can entertain somebody right into the pit of hell, but you won't ever entertain them into, into heaven. We have to be careful with that we present just the words that God has given us or that the Lord Jesus has given us. And that's what He sent these men out to do. Verses 12 and 13, what we see is the obedience of these men. Just simple obedience. They, we're told that they went out and they did some things. First thing, they preached repentance. That's evangelism. They went out into the villages around them and they said, I think something like this, the Lord has come. The one we've been expecting. The Messiah is here. And He'll be, he'll be visiting in a, in a bit. He sent us out ahead of Him. And so we're here to bring the good message. You need to repent of your sin. The second thing that they went out and did, they cast out many devils. Remember Jesus had given them there in verse 7 the power for that. He delegated a power. So with His authority and with His power, He cast out demons. And they were told that they healed many that were sick. Many that were sick. They had just as busy a ministry, it would seem, as Jesus did. Because people brought their sick to them. And, and, and we're told that they healed them. Again, they did this with Jesus' authority. So they rolled their sleeves up and they went to work. On the job training. After that, we, if you turn over... Well, I've got to turn a page. Maybe you don't have to. Still in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. We're going to see that after they had gone through this, they, they uh, had had this time of on-the-job training, they came back to report to Jesus. Look at verse 30. We're told, and the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. I believe it was um, Vance Havner that, that said one time in this verse, it essentially, Jesus was saying, come apart or you're going to come apart. We've got to get you set, set apart for a while. You need some rest. He said they, they, they were so busy they didn't even have a chance to eat. No leisure so much as to eat. You ever been that busy? Well, you can look at me and tell me, tell I don't get that busy that often, right? I, don't, I look fairly healthy, I guess. But these guys were really tired. They'd been out and he, they came back to report to Jesus. They reported what they had done in verse 30, that is with his authority. They reported what they had taught, that is, with his doctrine. And I can imagine they were excited. In verse 31, Jesus, he saw they had they, they had a need for some rest. Why is that? Because they went into villages and into towns where a lot of people needed what they had to offer. Does that sound familiar? We live in a world where there are a lot of people who, have, who need what we have to offer. Now, in their case, these people seem to want what they had to offer. I'm not so sure that's the, the case with us. As Christians, we have a witness to give. We have a message, but I'm not so, so sure that there's all that many people who want to hear it. Maybe there's more than we realize, but they sure do need it. And we need to be like these uh, apostles willing to go out and, and share the Gospels. But the result that Jesus saw was these men were exhausted. And so he said, let's just go to a, to a place where you can rest a little bit. And we're told that he took a ship there in verse 32, where they took a ship, and they went to a desert place. That's not desert as in Sahara or Gobi Desert. It simply means an, um, an undeveloped place, a place where there weren't people. 
think uh, even of a pasture land because we're going to see in a few minutes there was grass there. It wasn't a desert place at all. It was just a place where there weren't people to sap the energy out of them any further than they already had because he realized that they needed that. And so they went there to this place. Now look at verse 33. We'll read a little further. And the people saw them departing. And Jesus told them to get in a boat or a ship and they would, uh, de- uh, they would depart privately. But the people, in verse 33, the people saw them departing and many knew him and ran afoot thither out of all cities and out went them, came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, that is, came out of the boat, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? He said unto them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. Let that sink in. They've got five loaves and two fishes. Regardless of how many, how big five loaves and how big those fish are, he's having these people sit down in groups of fifty and a hundred, and he's going to feed them. It's going to get interesting, isn't it? Now we know the story. Verse 41, when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. Now, they've had a time of training. Jesus had taught them for month after month after month. They've had a time to roll up their sleeves. They've had a time now uh, to come back and report, and they thought they were going to get a little bit of rest, but when they get to the desert place, there's people all around them. So it's back to work for them. And so in verse 33, we're told that the people saw them leave from one side of the lake of, or the Sea of Galilee, and word spread, and they knew that was Jesus in that boat, and so they ran around the shoreline to get to the other side before he did. I did a little bit of, of uh, just a little research to see how big the Sea of Galilee is. I knew it wasn't huge. It's, it's basically a, a large lake. But at its widest point, if you go east-west, it's about eight miles. If you go the, the longest point from north to south, it's about 13 miles. They went from one side to the other side, running along the shoreline while Jesus and his disciples were in boats. These people have got to be tired by the time they get there. But it says they got there before... Jesus and the disciples did. That's how bad they wanted to see him. And so he, when Jesus saw them and he, he knew what they had done, we're told in verse 34, he was moved with compassion when he saw the crowd. And then we're told that he began to teach them many things and that he healed their sick. Many things. These, men, these, these apostles are tired. They've been out working. They thought they were going to get a rest. And now Jesus sets into teaching many things. It's going to be a long day for these folks at this point. And we say, we think to ourselves, why would Jesus do this? He knew the disciples were tired. He knew 
that they had been doing what he sent them to do, and they were exhausted because that day the needs of that crowd far outweighed the need of his disciples for a little bit of rest. These people needed what Jesus and those apostles had to offer. And so he said, we're going to set back into work, guys. Roll your sleeves back up and let's get started. And so all day long, he starts teaching them. And he's healing their sick. Verses 35 to 44, we read that, that fantastic story about how we, we usually refer to it as the feeding of the 5,000. By this time it's late afternoon, the disciples understand, well, Lord, we're tired. We know they are. They ran around the shoreline to get here, first of all. And it, it's late in the day. They, they've been listening but they've got to be hungry. And there's no food here. This is a desert place, after all. It's a deserted area. There's, there's nothing here. And so why don't you send them away and let them get something to eat? And Jesus told, told the apostles, you give them something to eat. Go ahead and take care of that need. That's what we're here for, to meet their needs. Can you imagine their responses? If you were one of the apostles, what, what would your response be at this point? I can imagine it would be something like, are you kidding? And Jesus is standing there. He's told them, you feed them, give them something to eat. Are you kidding? And he's still standing there looking at him. And the next thing, and maybe another one says, no, no, really, Lord, these folks, they, they've got to be hungry now. We, got, we need to send them away so they can get some food. And Jesus is still standing there looking at him because he's, he's told them what to do. You give them something to eat. And I can imagine another apostle saying something like, wait, you're serious, aren't you? You really want us to do this. And so Jesus said, uh, he said, well, how much food have you got? Go find out. You're telling me that we can't. you don't have the ability to do it, but you haven't even checked to see if there's any food around. Go see what you have. And so in uh, John's account, in John chapter 6, we're told that Andrew finally found this little boy who had five small, or five barley loaves and two small fish. And so I can, say, I can imagine Andrew's coming back and he said, Lord, we found some food. So very much. It's maybe holding in both his hands. And what did Jesus do? He told them, we'll organize the people. And I call it, he had them sit down in feast-sized groups. Fifty here, a hundred here, another fifty over there, another hundred over there. And he, he said, okay, now we're going to feed them. And I'm sure he prayed over that food and he blessed it. And he started breaking the little pieces off. And he told the, the apostles, okay, I want you to go give it out. Can you imagine when they first brought that food in again, what would their reactions have been, the apostles? We're going to feed them now, guys. You got them sat, sitting down, fixing to feed them. I can imagine it being something like this. One of the apostles looking at the other and saying, what is he going to do? And another one of the apostles saying, I don't know, but I've seen that twinkle in his eye before. Hang on, hold your hat. It's fixing to get interesting. And it did get interesting either, oh, didn't it? Because the rest is history. We're told that the people who had eaten in Matthew's account, Matthew 14, there were, it says they that had eaten were 5,000 men or about 5,000 men besides women and children. There were over 5,000. And we think, oh yeah, well how many over 5,000? Who cares? Five loaves and two fish and you feed at least 5,000 people? And they got all they wanted and when they were done, the apostles all gathered up baskets full of, of leftovers. That's amazing, isn't it? That's what happens when Jesus works, isn't it? That's what happens when even when we're tired and He says keep working. That's what can happen. If, if you will turn back over to Matthew chapter 4, let's, 14 rather, let's look at some of these verses here. We'll switch accounts and look at uh, what Matthew had to say. Matthew 14. I'm going to start reading in verse 22. 
So the people had been fed. Uh, verse 20 of Matthew 14 says, They did all eat and were filled. And they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. Mm-hmm. Verse 22 says, And straightway, that is right away, after this happened, Jesus constrained His disciples to get into a ship and to go before Him unto the other side while He sent the multitude away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, He was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Peter answered Him, answered him and said, Lord, if it be Thou, bid me come unto Thee on the water. And He said, Come. When Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Verse 22, Jesus insisted. Now, at this point, Let's, let me just go back, take a step back. They've been through the training. They've been through the on-the-job training. They've come back, they've reported to Jesus. He's put them right back into on-the-job training to help those people, that, uh, that 5,000 and some people that day. Now it's test time. Now he said, okay, take out a sheet of paper. It's going to get, it's going, it might get a little bumpy now, but I want to see how you handle this. He insisted that the 12, after feeding these, all those people, that they get in the ship and they go back. Presumably back where they were before, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Verse 23 tells us, After the crowd left, Jesus went up into a mountain uh, to pray. I think it's interesting to note, the Son of God needed a long time with God the Father. We need that too, don't we? We need to remember that. We have to come apart sometimes too and get, uh, get alone with the Lord. We're told that when evening came, He was alone on the shore. And I'm guessing that Jesus was refreshed. He had spent time alone with God the Father. I'm guessing the apostles in that boat were anything but refreshed at this point. They're out there in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Verse 24 says they were, uh, essentially, they were in a squall. They They were in a storm. They were tossed, we're told, with waves. For the wind was contrary. That word contrary means antagonistic. No matter what they tried, the the oars didn't work. They couldn't get that boat to go where they wanted it to. They they were rowing all this time that Jesus was spending time alone in prayer, and that storm just kept just kept blowing. They were in serious trouble. They'd been rowing most of the night at this point. Again, the Sea of Galilee. Um, I gave you those those outside dimensions. It's about sixty four square miles. It's a pretty good sized body of water. It's about twice the size of uh, Smith Mountain Lake. If you're familiar with that, so it's it's not a it's not a small body of water, but it's not an insignificant body of water. The depth of it at the at the deepest point is somewhere between 140 and 150 feet deep. That's nothing to sneeze at, is it? Where it's located, <coughs> it's located sort of in a trough between some mountain ranges, and I'm told that there are some pretty serious storms that arise on the Sea of Galilee. It's always been this way. And Scripture, there are other portions of Scripture that talk about some of those storms and how bad they are. I've never been to it, but I've seen video. We have, we have YouTube nowadays, and I've seen videos of, of what appear to be sizable ships 
with cameras mounted on the deck and you can see the waves in the Sea of Galilee and you can see the, the, the nose of that ship or the bow of that ship dipping down into a trough with some serious waves crashing over it. So that's what these men are looking at. And that all they've got is, is a small, they call it a ship. It's not a, it's not a significant sized boat at this point. And, and so they, they are in serious trouble. John 6 indicates that they'd rowed about three to four miles by this point. And as I said earlier, at its most narrow point, east-west, it's about eight miles across. And so they're, they're not quite halfway across. And they've been rowing all night long. Now, again, at this point, these men are in a storm. They're being tested. Their faith by this time, no doubt, is being tested to its limits. They're already tired. And so they've been through all this training. They've been on a missions trip. They have an evangelistic trip. They had healed people. They had cast out demons. And now the storm that's going through their minds, is this what's going to take us out? After all that we've been through, we have, they had that short rest and then they had that additional training and they watched Jesus minister to the crowd. They watched as He broke those few morsels of food into enough to feed thousands of people. And they're going through their minds thinking, is this it, guys? How could this be the end? So they're being tested, aren't they? They're, uh, they're on this boat trip now. And keep in mind, they're on this boat trip because Jesus told them to take the boat trip. They were simply obeying Him. You ever been in a position like that? in a test where you're doing what the Lord told you to do and it seems like everything's falling apart. That happens to Christians, doesn't it? They, we just need to note they were exactly where they were supposed to be. But they were being tormented by this storm. Verses 25 to 27 in our text, they tell us that in the fourth watch of the night, sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., that Jesus went out to them walking on the sea. The disciples, when they saw him, they thought he was a spirit. And that doesn't mean ghost, as in the term that we would mean ghost. It meant a phantom. That's what it literally means. Uh, an evil spirit. Some of these men may have even conceived in their ideas, this is that, that's what's been causing this storm. There's an evil spirit now, and now he's coming to get us. And so they were afraid, and they cried out in fear. Jesus identified himself, and he said, don't be afraid, as they see him walking on the water. Peter said in verses 28 there through 31, he asked if he could join Jesus on the water. That's our Peter. He's a little impetuous sometimes. He said, Lord, if that's you, let me come out there. And Jesus simply, just a very one word answer, come, come on. That's all right, you can come. That's all Peter needed to hear. He came down out of the ship and we're told he actually walked on water for a little ways until he got his his eyes off the Lord and he put him on the, the waves or the wind and that scared him. And so he started to sink. He called out, Lord, save me. It's a very simple prayer, it's very, but it's a very effective prayer, isn't it? The Lord always answers that prayer, by the way, save me. And Jesus called him and he said, why did you doubt? Could he ever ask us that question? Has he ever asked us, you reckon, that question? Why were you doubting? I told you what I'd do for you. I told you you could come to me. Don't, don't be doubting. Verse 32 says, And when ceased, when Jesus and Peter got into the ship, and in John's account, in John 6.21, we're told that immediately, when Jesus got in that ship, immediately the ship was up the other end of the shoreline where it was supposed to go. They'd been rowing all night long. They hadn't even made it halfway across. When Jesus got there, they made it to the shore. That's what happened. Very familiar verses of Scripture, isn't it? I think there's some lessons that we can learn from the test that the that these uh, apostles went through here. 
they were told to take out a sheet of paper. Well, we, we will be told that, or we'll be asked to do that every now and then. One lesson that we can learn, the first one, they were storm-tested in familiar surroundings. That happens to us sometimes. We don't have to be in a strange place. Several of the men of those apostles we know were Galilean fishermen, don't we? Peter, Andrew, James, John, they were, they were fishermen. They knew these waters. They had weathered squalls like this before on the Sea of Galilee. They knew exactly what to do. And we can almost imagine when that storm blew in and Matthew and some of the other disciples or apostles maybe were saying, ooh, I don't like this. I'd rather be on, the ground, on, on dry land. I, you can almost hear them saying, we got this. Don't worry about it. This is the, we get these storms all the time. We know what to do with this. But their familiar methods weren't working that night. Sails were, weren't going to be any use to them because winds were contrary. The oars weren't getting them where they needed to go. Uh, they could have thrown out an anchor, but that wasn't going to get them anywhere, was it? They would just sit there and be beaten with the waves again. So nothing they tried would work. The lesson we learn is we can experience similar testing to that. Uh, we learn from Christ. We obey Him. We go back to familiar surroundings, and suddenly the test hits us, doesn't it? Because He wants to see what we're made of. He wants to see what we've learned and what we'll do with what we learned. And we'll be faced sometimes with storms we can't handle, but the Lord always can handle, can He? There's never been a storm that He couldn't handle. And so we simply rely on Him. Second lesson we can learn. They were storm-tossed after loyal, obedient service to the Lord. They had preached the Gospel. They cast out demons. They had healed the sick. We read about that. They'd gone with Jesus' power and they'd seen incredible results from that. And then they'd come back and they'd witnessed Jesus ministering further. They had, they had had a part in Him feeding over 5,000 people with all those little morsels of bread. They hadn't just seen it. They'd been a part of it. They were the ones handing out the food. They organized the seating. They handed out the portions. They picked up the leftovers. All of them that were left. I can imagine when Jesus said, get on that ship and go to the other side and I'll meet you over there after a while. I, I can imagine they were pumped. They were excited because of all the things they had seen. And now, they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee being threatened by the storm that wants to gobble them up the way those 5,000 people ate up all that fish and bread. And so, the lesson we can learn is that storms, they can reach even obedient Christians. Even though we're exactly where the Lord asked us to be. A third lesson we can learn. They were storm tested on a path that Jesus had chosen for them. He's the one who told them to take the ship across. It wasn't their idea. And then he intentionally stayed behind so he could have a time of prayer. Sometimes we'll face storms even when we're exactly where God put us. Often we will face those storms because he put us there for that reason. And sometimes he allows the storms. They'll come in. They'll, they'll come to prove us, sometimes to test us. I think always to strengthen us a little bit. And so we can learn from that. A fourth lesson that we can learn. They were tested in a storm that had uh, that Jesus had control over. Not only had He sent them there, He was in control. The storm didn't surprise the Lord. I got a feeling He may have sent that storm. You ever wonder what He was praying about while He was on the mountain? God, let's send a storm out there. I believe these men are ready for it now. I think they can handle it. It's going to scare the living daylights out of them. But I think they can handle it from what they've seen in the last few weeks. And so he sends this storm to them. Never forget the lesson we learned. Jesus is sovereign over everything that touches our lives. Everything. Every test that we go through. Every storm. A fifth lesson. Peter recognized that safety was not in the ship. Safety was with the Lord Jesus. That's a lesson we need to learn, doesn't it? 
Before he met Jesus, I'm sure that Peter, as a, as a seasoned fisherman, he probably thought the safest place for me to be in a squall like that is one of my boats because I know what I'm doing there. I'm in control and I'll ride this storm out. Now Peter knew the safest place to be in a storm was with the Lord Jesus, as close as he could get to Him. Close enough that when he saw Jesus walk in on the water, he said, can I come up there with you? This boat's not a very safe place right now. Well, this is, I don't like it here. Can I come get close to you? It's interesting to know that Jesus walked where? On the water. Not in the water. On the water. The storm was under His feet. Every storm that we face is under the feet of Jesus. He is in control of it. And so that's, that's good. No storm can ever swamp our Savior. I'm going to read uh, a couple of verses from Colossians 1. I referred to these earlier uh, or this morning. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by Him were all things created that are in the heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. That storm was created by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was sent to a group of men that He believed could handle it. And when it got to the point where they were about ready to give up, he came. He went walking to them on the water, on the storm. He said, guys, it's my storm. Don't worry about it. The lesson we learned, if you find yourself in a storm, get to Jesus as quickly as you can, just like Peter. The sixth lesson, the final lesson I think that, uh, that I'll mention, uh, Jesus was able and near to save when that storm hit. That's a good lesson, isn't it? You ever find yourself in a storm? Follow or listen to what Jesus told these men in Matthew 14, 27. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. I'm walking to you on that storm. It's as though Jesus is saying, cheer up. I know things are hard, but this is my sea. And these are my waves. And this is my wind. And you are my disciples. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to let this storm get the better of you. I sent you here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take care of you here. Isn't that great? Certainly Peter was one that fell into that category. He was one of Jesus' disciples when he began to sink, but so were the other disciples who were still in the boat. They were still struggling. They were exhausted. Their hope was fading. But they were Jesus' disciples. They might not have decided to go walk on the water to get to Jesus, but they were still His, and He was still coming to save them. He sent them there. He preserved them there. And then He came there to save them when when everything looked bleak. The wind, we're told, ceased. The waves subsided. I'm sure the sea became just calm when Jesus got there. They were immediately at their destination according to John 6.21. Everything had been taken care of. We need to note, as we look at the passage though, that reaching the shore is not what brought them safety. That's not what did it. Being with their Lord it's what brought them safety, isn't it? His presence is what brought those men safety, and it still does. It's His presence with us that give, that brings us the safety, that helps us make it through the test. And I can say this, He took them out of that storm. He calmed that storm, but even if He had left them in the storm, His presence would have still kept them safe, wouldn't it? If He had gotten that boat with them, they could have weathered that storm. You remember another storm we read about? Uh, they were in the boat, and they thought the boat was going to sink, and Jesus was in the back part of the boat asleep. Sound asleep. I love that passage too. And when he got, they came to him and said, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus, what did he do? He got up. And I love this. I just love it. He got up and it's almost like he, he looked out across the sea and he said, shh, 
you're scaring my friends. Stop mm-hmm. that. And the wind ceased just like that. That's the Lord we serve who can stop the storms, isn't it? We need to remember that. Because as Christians, we will face tests, storms, if we want to call them that. We will. Some of them, or some of us, will face more of them than others. Because the Lord knows that some people can face storms that other people can't face. And He'll throw them at us. The Scripture is clear. To whom much has been given, much will be required. And so some of us may be told more often, take out a sheet of paper because it's test time. And when that happens, the smoky Joe's coming and we just we just get as close to the Lord as we can mm-hmm. when that happens. Some of the tests that we face will be a lot more severe than the others, but every there's a purpose in every test that He gives us. Some of them test our resolve. Some of them test our, our beliefs, what it is that we believe. They test our faith, won't they? Some of those tests... They will face our willingness, or they will test our willingness to do what's right no matter what comes our way. I think John the Baptist faced that test. We were talking about him this morning. Uh, He knew that it was his job to point people to Christ. He knew that it was his job to call people to repentance. And he called the wrong people to repentance one time, and they threw him in jail. And it caused he lost his head over it. And yet... He passed the test, didn't he? Because he continued to do what the Lord had called him to do, to be that messenger. So some tests will, will do that. They'll test our resolve, our beliefs, our faith, our willingness to do what's right. Some of them come to get our attention. And maybe even to bring us back to the Lord if we've, if we've wandered off the path. Sometimes the Lord will send a test and just, to, just to bring us back, to get our attention. And some tests may be for no other purpose than for God to receive glory from us. Because there are people when, as Christians, when we go through these tests, these storms in life, there are people watching us because we've named the name of Christ and they want to see how we go through it. And sometimes I think the Lord will send a test just to be glorified. Didn't He do that with Job? When Satan said, ah, oh, you touch, take away his stuff. He, of course he, he's going he's to honor you. He's going to bless you because you made him rich. And the Lord said, okay, take away his stuff. And Job didn't sin. He still glorified God. He said, well, touch him then. And, and, you know, he still got his health. Okay, touch him. Take his health. You can't take his life, but you can take his health. Job continued to praise God, didn't he? And there were people around Job who saw that. And there would be people around us when God sends us tests. So sometimes the test may just be to, to, to bring glory to the Lord Himself. No matter what the purpose is, though, we can know that our Lord is with us in every storm, can't we? We have that that um, familiarity from the Scripture and that promise of Scripture. So, that brings us to the question. The twelve apostles, they were told, take out a sheet of paper. How'd they do? Did they pass the test? From what we know in the New Testament? Well, when they got off the ship after that storm, what'd they do? They carried on. They continued to minister alongside Jesus, with the exception of Judas Iscariot, and we know what happened to him. The other eleven, they carried on, didn't they? History says most of them were martyred for their faith. They faced other tests continually throughout the remainder of their ministries. They faced tests. They faced storms. Sometimes some of them were harder than others, but I think every one of them strengthened their faith until the time when they reached the end of their lives and they were faced with a martyr's death and they said, I'm going to keep serving the Lord. I'm not going to give up. Because they knew what He had brought them through. They knew what they would already faced. And they knew that when this life is over, they were going to be with the Lord. Shouldn't our prayer be that we could follow their example? That when, when the Lord teaches us things and He carries us and brings us through all the experiences He brings us through, 
And when he says, take out a sheet of paper, we know that Smokey Joe's coming, but want to be good. Wouldn't it be good if we could be like the apostles and we would continue to follow him? And we'll say, okay, we're going to keep doing what you told us to do. No matter how bad the test, no matter how bad the storm is, we're going to trust you. And when that storm hits, we're going to be like Peter and we're going to try to get as close to you, Lord, as we possibly can. We're going to call out to you to save us, knowing that he will. So I hope we can do that when the storms hit us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of uh, the Lord Jesus working with his apostles, these 12 chosen men, and how he worked closely with them. He taught them day in and day out. They followed him uh, for many, many months, years even. They saw how he worked. They saw his compassion. Uh, we saw, they saw how he reached out to people, how he willingly gave of himself to people, and they learned. They learned well from him. Uh, they were uh, endowed with a portion of His Spirit. They were given uh, authority from Him to cast out demons, to heal those who were sick. And they were willing to do that. And we thank You for it. And Lord, we see in this uh, passage we looked at tonight, they were sent through a test. And it was quite a test for them. They were afraid uh, for their lives, it would seem, uh, as they were out in the, the midst of the Sea of Galilee. But Lord, You showed them that You came to them. That was Your storm. Those were Your winds. Those were your waves, and they were your disciples, and you cared for them, and we're thankful for that. We pray as, as Christians that you'd help us to, to learn these lessons. Sometimes we will be tested in familiar circumstances. Sometimes uh, we'll be tested after we've uh, been fully obedient to you. We're exactly where you want us to be, and yet the storms will come into our lives. But we pray, Lord, that we might learn as these, these apostles did, that uh, no storm reaches us without coming through your hands first. And you control those storms, you control those waves, and you protect us in the midst of them. We thank you for that. We pray that you'd be glorified in our lives when the storms hit. We pray that everything we do, uh, everything that we say, the thoughts of our hearts, the places we go, the reactions we have, the conversations we have, everything about our lives, we pray that they might glorify you, that you be honored by our service. Father, make us more effective servants for your glory. We pray that this church would continue to, to be a place where the Word of God goes out in truth. We pray that this could be a place where lives would be strengthened, where families could be strengthened, and uh, where souls could be saved as a result of the ministries here. Go with us now as we go into this week, Father. We don't know what it holds, but you certainly do. And uh, Father, we pray uh, that you just be with us in, in everything that we accomplish this week. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.